Yeah, this one right here goes out to all the babies, mamas, 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 <laughs> baby mamas, mamas. Yeah, go like this. Bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 126 of 2, 5, and 10. And I, I got to say, I, I guess we'll start with the Iron Man streak. And, and I'm going to start with myself here, Benny. You know, I've been up, I've been grueling, long hauling, and you know, just getting it done for years. Never mind just, you know, the minutes that I'm here. So you're welcome, pal. How are you? Well, any activity outside of this podcast does not count, just like when Jarvis and Neander both miss playoff games. I mean, as a streak, though, it doesn't have to be continuous. I understand, like, playoffs are a different thing, regular season a different thing, but Iron Man should be the Iron Man. It has to go straight through. Yeah, I mean, it's all regular season records, right? It's always a different record book and stat book. You always see regular season stats and then play all-time playoff goals leader. Um, so it's always kept separate. I wonder, I'm not going to look it up right now, but Cal Ripken's streak. I know Baltimore, early on in his career, were, was good. They made well, the I was going to say, well, I was gonna say how yeah. How many playoff have... games did they actually have that he might have missed? But baseball is a lot different than hockey. He could play with a couple uh, nicks and bruises on him, but even still, the fact that Yandel and Jarvis, 965 straight regular season games, especially now with COVID, like the last two years, not having to miss a game because of protocol once. And, I mean, the other crazy thing is, too, right behind them, we still have an active player in Phil the Thrill Kessel, so Phil's coming up hot, so if Yan's twisting ankle or anything else, the... uh saturated the cured meat man himself phil kessel right <laughs> right in the uh right in the wing nice, waiting his meat's nice and marbled yes exactly about about as plump as a hot dog well the thing with uh yandel he's 35 his plays slipped the last couple of years like he's still a smooth skater he can still transition the game but he's not obviously as he was in the prime of his career with his production do you see him playing another two three years see this is, this is the thing at least with yandel <coughs> uh since he's been bought out from florida i figure that the deal he had this year with the flyers was very team friendly yeah so I i'm assuming that he's still serviceable so as long as I he's on a guy at, at worst right now yeah i was gonna say so as long as he's on a team friendly deal i think he will play i just think yeah, he, that he's gonna get scratched at some point I would hope not, but I mean, maybe, I mean, 
he would have to go to a team, legitimately look at the lineup to be like, all right, like I know I'm better than, you know. Just stay in Buffalo the rest of his career. <laughs> yeah, like, he's like, I'm better than the sixth defenseman, better than the seventh defenseman. I don't have to worry about the other kid. Like, I should be able to get by. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be the all-time, like, irony that Phil Kessel, the guy who never works out, or like, not that he never works out, but he doesn't go above and beyond in his training, ends up being the all-time leader in consecutive games played. <laughs> I think the other part too, like Phil is one of those guys that like this streak, very quiet, yep. very just like shows up to work, does his thing. I mean, I didn't say he's working his butt off. He shows up, he does his thing. I mean, it's Phil, which makes it even funnier. Like you can hear <laughs> you, you fucking guys. Like I can like hear the Kessel like screech, like, Oh my God, it's great. And I know him and Yandel, our buddies, so I'm sure that that's part of the reason why Yandel will never want to sit out is because he doesn't want to lose the uh, shit talking bragging rights over Phil. Could you imagine Phil Kessel is like the uh, the, po- <laughs> the poster boy for health and happiness over there? <laughs> hey, hey, hot dog a day keeps the doctor away. Apparently, pal. I mean, that's that's how you win, right there. That that's how you're winning. And this will not be the last reference of phil kessel in this episode once we get to week in review oh boy i'm excited um the other news we have this week is montreal finally hires a gm uh ken hughes which my response to you was ken who <laughs> <laughs> um like i know he was an agent but like out of all the people that they were interviewing uh darsh and briere they even talked to patrick Waugh. there were a couple other guys I thought they were going to go with Darsh, to be honest. Um, and they go with Hughes, a uh, player agent. He is bilingual, so I'm sure that makes everybody happy in fucking yeah. Quebec. Yeah, mandatory. Yeah. Um, but I think this is a turning point for Montreal. Like, Obviously, it's not hasn't been an old boys club for a few years now. They've brought in outside people. But I think it's just a complete break from any connection, really, to the Montreal organization bringing in Gordon and now Hughes. So I think this is a turning point where it's fresh set of eyes on the organization, the prospects, the veterans. And I think just based on Gordon's experience here in New York and also his brief time as the head man in Boston, there's going to be a lot of upheaval in Montreal at the deadline this summer. And it's not going to be a long turnaround time. Like Gordon turns shit around pretty quick. So I wouldn't be surprised if two years from now, uh, meaning two seasons from now, Montreal's competing for at least a wild card spot. Uh, so one thing I read up on this is that they stated that Hughes, compared to other candidates, was very open and receptive to dealing directly with Gorton, as opposed to some people would say, I'm the GM, this is my team. It seemed like he was very open to go back and forth with Gorton. And now, for a guy who... You've dealt with player contract stuff. Yep. So... When it comes to negotiating deals, I feel like you'd be able to find a fair market value, and maybe that's something Montreal's looking for in players. They don't want to overpay. They want to get them on a fair market deal. Okay, so so maybe bring in an agent for that side of things. But now on the other end, just someone who, you know, I, I've fiddled with some things myself, but at the same time, I've never built a hockey team outside of NHL, you know, 
2000 and you know <laughs> you know cap friendly yeah so it's like you can build your own teams you can plop things in and out but now in the end is this ultimately gordon's team yeah, yeah. so it's like is kent hughes a puppet like I, I don't think so i mean montreal is a very you know storage franchise here i don't think they're just picking a joe schmo but if you're adding everything up i, I think it is like he's not an ex-player doesn't have that going for him. I mean, the only thing that he has going for him is the partial language. Uh, outside and the of that, relationships. yeah, but player relationships are great until you're fighting with their agent. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so he he represented Latang too, right? Latang Bergeron, he, he had a bunch of guys under a his guys uh, up free agency. Yeah, so Can you imagine Bergeron in a Canadian's jersey. Dude, so someone had already pushed that out up here. They're like. They're like his his agent is signing in Montreal and he's at the end of his deal. He's like he, he always wanted to play for you know Quebec. That's the closest he would get to Quebec. And I was like, oh shit. I'm like uh, honestly, <laughs> I'm like I really don't fucking want to hear this shit right now. That's <laughs> that's the way I'm feeling. I mean the thing with uh, player agents becoming GMs, you've seen it in baseball with the Mets. Uh, Brody came in and showed his lack of industry knowledge with a lot of his trades that he made trading away high level prospects that are now helping turn a team like Seattle around. And he, all he brought back was a 35 year old second baseman who was pop for PEDs. Um, and you also have in Oakland, you have Billy Bean, who is a longtime GM, the fam- probably the most famous GM outside of Jerry Jones um in sports and after a while he became team president and he hired or promoted david forst who was his assistant to gm but bean stayed on as team president and he was basically the face of the franchise the mouthpiece and he but he just didn't have to do the day-to-day i think at this point gordon's like i don't want to have to do the day-to-day of gming anymore i want to be involved in the bigger picture and the final decision making and I'm not saying that Hughes is a puppet, but I feel like Gorton is just like, listen, I have experience. You don't. Obviously, he's bringing him in for a reason. But you're basically going to be doing all the nitty gritty of it. And then when it comes to decision time, you have to run it through May. So it kind of comes off the natural progression of things. You get promoted. You don't have to do all the crappy stuff anymore. Somebody else does it and they report to you. And I think that's why probably Darsh didn't want to go there. Briere probably wouldn't, would have been more open to it because it would have been his first big-time role. But Darsh, he's going to have – he can have his pick at this point of any opening in a league. And in his mind, he's like, why would I take this one? Um, Who knows? Maybe he's waiting for uh, the Coyotes to possibly go to Quebec City, and that'll be the uh, next French stop. Uh, and then they're ready to get rid of Armstrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I – my overall takeaway from this is it's just a clean break. Um, and then the question becomes coaching. So it's going to be a lot of roster upheaval and retooling in the prospect pool. But then it's, are they going to be sticking with them or are they going to be making a change? And if they make a change, is that where Patrick Watt comes into play? <laughs> I, that's one guy I don't know if you want back in there. He He was just... He, Too he big was, of a personality. Yeah, he was such a fucking wild card in the <laughs> NHL when he was here. Like, 
pushing over barriers and just kind of all sorts. Of, yeah, just kind of all sorts of shit. And then if he's in there, he's not going to. Jeff Gordon and a player agent are not going to tell him what to do with his lineup. No, that that's not going to happen. Period. Not happening. So that's my overall takeaway from it is um, I, if I'm a Canadians fan, I would just be a little disappointed with the other candidates that were available uh, that they could have brought in. But this is the new way organizations are being formatted. You see it in Pittsburgh with team president and GM. Uh, you, you see it several teams around the league. So it's this is how the future is going to be. So it's just going to be uh, a guy who was either in that job for years with this, that organization and just take moves away from the daily responsibilities, or it's just going to be a big name brought in, be the face of the franchise like Shanahan was in Toronto, and then someone else does the GM duties. And speaking of another person who yeah. has come from the agent world and gotten promoted to a new gig, we have Emily Castanguay is the new assistant general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. And another person who had a lot of big names under her agency, Lafreniere, Latang. So I think that... Uh, it's definitely starting to transition that way where player agents are starting to get a look and becoming, I don't want to say top of the food chain, but there's something that NHL owners, presidents, director of hockey operations are looking for specifically for now agents to be making this jump. Cause we never really saw agents do this before. And was it more a lucrative thing, more of being your own boss? Like, I don't know, but it's probably not more lucrative because a lot of these agents, when they divest themselves from their business, they end up losing money. Did you say these agents or these Asians? <laughs> agents. All right, just making sure, pal. You know. <laughs> hey, we're in enough trouble here in New York with that shit, so don't get me involved. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, when it comes to breaking my like, the, the trend now, it's just. Maybe teams with the flat cap and they've been exposed to the importance of identifying the right players early and getting them to team-friendly deals and avoiding the mistakes in unrestricted free agency. They're putting a lot more value on the knowledge and experience from the other side of a negotiating table to help them understand, hey, this is probably what they're going to ask for next. Here's how we can counter this, things like that. So maybe that's why the trend is seemingly starting to pick up. Yeah, I mean, I've seen they've usually for assistant jobs, it would be either an agent that has dealt with all the negotiation stuff just for more of a a calming, soothing, you know, uh, feel behind them. But it seems like to go completely new in the sense of GM, I, I think we're starting to see the, uh, the tides turn a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, my last thought on this is, I kind of, just from a fan point of view, it's it just doesn't come off like they're around for the long haul, right? So if I'm a fan of a team and we hire an agent, it's like, okay, if he's good, he's just, like, it just always comes off as they're always ABC uh, of agents is you're always trying to, plan for the next move so i feel like they're never going to be around for long so that would be my only disappointment as a fan it's like okay he'll be here until the next opportunity comes along like i don't know if there's any uh, strong allegiance to that specific organization 
Now, m one last question to you regarding this. On a scale of 1 to 10 for excited and excitement from your end, how excited are you? This this just is not a old recycled name going back in there. kind of seems like the coach's carousel, this being completely new. I mean, I, I am all for new people. Like, I'm tired of the same, anytime a GM is fired in hockey, it's like, here's possible candidates, and it's the same six fucking guys, and the only time they get removed from the list is when they die. Um, like, Jesus. It's the same with coaching, too. It's like, oh, my God, Dan Balsma is available. So, yeah, he's been available. Like, you, you could call him for your son's peewee team at this point. Like, just because he coached before and won a cup with prime flurry, Crosby, Malkin, and Latang doesn't make him a great coach. Uh, but it's the same people over and over again. So I'm all for new people coming in. It's just odd that it's an agent. All right. Uh, the other major topic we wanted to talk about this week is the incident that happened in the ECHL. Uh, the Jacksonville Icemen were playing the South Carolina Stingrays, which, you know, there's, there's Bettman's uh, Sun Belt expansion right there, Jacksonville and South Carolina. Um, so P.K. Subban's younger brother, Jordan, was involved in a scrum, uh, and there's a cell phone video of the scrum, and as he's being led away, one, uh, the defenseman on Jacksonville, Jacob Panetta, wanted to get at him. The, he wanted to fight him, and then Subban, which runs in the family, that one wanted nothing to do with it until the linesman got in the middle. And then he started running his mouth, acting like he wanted to fight him. And then Panetta made a gesture towards him as they were skating through center ice that pissed off Subban, started his whole melee. And then from that point forward, it, it spread like wildfire of it was a, it was a racist act. He was taunting him. He was making gestures like a monkey or a gorilla at Subban because he's black. Um, so my first thing is, one, I want to comment on the video quality itself. Were they using a BlackBerry from 2001? <laughs> like, holy shit, that video quality is terrible. But two, what was your initial takeaway when you saw the video? And now that a few days have passed, has that changed at all? Uh, so my take on the video while watching it, at least the first part of it, was, you know, whatever scrum or whenever... This video starts, they're together, kind of gets separated. You can tell it's a little heated. But to me, for for Panetta, why do you wait to do this gesture as to when Subban is already behind a linesman and you're also already behind a linesman? And Jacob Panetta comes out with a video apology the other day as to stating this was not a racist act. He has done this previously on ice, and there's video of it, of that same thing, saying, you know, that he's stronger than the other guy, or the other guy thinks he's he's a big, tough guy, and that's the yeah. thing that he uses. Okay, maybe, maybe not. I just hope that he understands the way that he did it, and it's not like he's there and he's you know, pumping his arms back and forth and then pumps them upwards like he's fucking Hulkamania. He legitimately shrugs his shoulders completely over hunchback, like like a hunchback or like a silverback gorilla. And that's where I believe it is racist and it's a racist act. Like, if it was just 
me and you and I'm motherfucking you and you're motherfucking me, I, I'm not going to hunch my thing forward and, you know, tell you to go to the gym. I'd probably point to my arm or flex my arm and say, you know, you think you're a tough guy or I'm stronger than you. So Andrew Shaw comes out. I guess they are cousins and Andrew Shaw defends him completely in at one point that like mentally you got to think, right? This is fucking Andrew Shaw defending him. Uh, another guy who played a certain role within the league. And, you, you know, Shawzy played hard, put his heart on the line, but we, he, we never had him up there for a fucking racist act. Never had to defend his actions in that sense. He might have lost his mind a couple of times behind some linesmen, but there was never shit like this. So I don't like it. Um, if he wants to defend whatever it is he wants to defend, Panetta, go for it. But I personally do not agree with... It. Listen, we're in a heat of battle. That seems something that's premeditated for you to take it to that point. And um, I ain't down with that. So let me start off by saying the statement from Jacob Subban after the game was, um, as soon as I began to turn my back, he started making monkey gestures at me. So I punched him in the face multiple times, and he turtle, turtled like the coward he is. First of all, none of, none of that happened. Well, so from he what I saw in the face thing... multiple times, and Panetta didn't turtle, and Subban was standing over him. None of that happened. Well, this is what, what I don't get. So maybe that did happen just via the way the video was. Because it looks like they come together... Uh, Subban tries coming around the other side of the linesman, and then the video kind of ends. But via Panetta's video that he released, I mean, he has a fucking shiner. So maybe that did happen. Well, what happened was after that fan video stopped, uh, the re referees ejected both Subban and Panetta. And as Panetta was skating to uh, the locker room, someone else on the Stingrays left the bench and punched him in the face. Oh, well, hey, th that's defending your guy. I love it. Yeah, so maybe that's where the shining came from. But in the video, like, you see the entire interaction after he made the gesture. He did not turtle. So right there, I see that quote. I'm just like, okay, now you're making shit up. You know what I mean? So, like, even if he's right in what Panetta did, like, let's say that, what he said was accurate. Now you're lessening as someone who I have no experience with previously, my ability to trust everything you say blindly, because now I know you're making that, that shit up. I mean, for a guy like Panetta though, that went to fucking Colgate in ECAC school, you're telling me that you magically mistaken a fucking, a stronger guy pose compared to a gorilla pose. Like, Come on, you're fucking smarter than that. So here's the other thing. What is the difference? And you saw the video, right? I did, yeah. What's the difference between the gesture slash pose that Panetta made to what Tom Wilson did to the Rangers bench after he mugged Panarin one, while he was in the penalty box? The difference is Wilson, Wilson is... His shoulders up, bent his arms out, and then shuffled around in a penalty box towards the Rangers bench in a way of saying, you guys can't get me. You know what I mean? Yes, but but we can both agree that Wilson's is, he is stating to that whole team, he is stronger than all of them. Can't and get him. 
So it, if it's it, the same gesture, right? But Wilson also didn't have his fucking jersey was off. You, you can see the whole thing. Like we have a backdoor video as to maybe what is or what isn't. But at the same time, as Willie has everyone's attention there, and he's telling everyone he's stronger than them. Everyone can see that. This looks like it's okay. We're talking shit. We're going back and forth. And now I'm punching my chest out like I'm bigger than you, almost like fucking King Kong would do. You know, you push out and you pound on your chest. Now he's doing that. Like, uh, uh, no. Yeah. If there is better video that comes out, I will gladly reassess my opinion. I don't think he was being racist. I don't think it was a implicit oh he's black in the heat of the moment let me make a monkey gesture towards him and again i've played with black eyes before i've seen the racist shit they had to deal with i don't think it was a heat of the moment him looking at suban and going you know what i'm going to do right now at center ice when everybody's staring at us something that's going to ruin my life so i think it was i'm inclined to lean towards the it was the tough guy gesture because the entire video in the beginning, he is challenging Subban. Subban wants almost no part of it except for running his mouth. And then as soon as the linesman gets in the middle, then he starts doing the pull PK thing and trying to swirl around the linesman. Oh, I really want to get at him. I think that's really what he was trying to do. And it's almost like maybe I'm just jaded. Like there's been countless incidents in sports over the last let's say just two years the one, one example the colorado rockies i don't know if you remember this last oh, i remember when, that yep when the fan was yelling dinger at the mascot because the name of the mascot is fucking dinger and everybody washington post new york times all over twitter who is this man dock him because they thought he was saying the n-word so i'm not really inclined to believe well, in it's fairness, right. in fairness, for the fucking Colorado Rockies to name their mascot Dinger, well, that I mean, that's what they call a home run, the, Dingers. The, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, like, I'm not very inclined to just jump on board with the mob and go, "Oh, okay, whatever Subban says is true," and it, it's obviously racist. When I, from personal experience, and also. Like, you and I, like you said, you gave an example of, like, if you and I were motherfucking each other. We've seen that before. I've seen that flexing before. So I'm not some noob who works for Deadspin or some dumbass on Twitter who's never watched a hockey game before. It's like, obviously, it's racist. I'm inclined to give the benefit of the doubt unless there's more definitive proof, like a different angle that shows him doing something. I'd be like, okay, yeah. But until then... I'm not real. I'm not willing to jump on board and ruin Jacob Panetta's fucking hockey career and life and reputation because of a grainy video and trusting the word of Jordan Subban, who lied in one half of his statement, and it's just related to PK, who's just the biggest fucking asshole when it comes to attention seeking anyway. And then of course you have to deal with all the. John Tavares, white boy from Canada, what do you think about this incident? We have to be better. The same platitude bullshit. I'm just, it's almost like, since it was so close, like, it can be mistaken for it if you don't know what's going on. 
if you're not used to the sport, if you're not used to the scrums, if you're not used to the gestures, whatever. I mean, you can I guess run with it as a reason to go. That's racist. Hockey's racist. We need to fix the sport. We need to hire diversity, equity, and inclusion people. Oh my God! We need to make sure all these people agree that Jacob Panetta is the worst person alive. Until proven otherwise, I don't think it was ra- a racist taunt. I think it was just a tough guy. Like, oh, now you're tough behind the lines. Man, go fuck yourself. And I've- that's all it amounts to for me. The only thing that that I, I can say is that that may help Panetta's case here is that there is no actual verbiage with it in the sense that they said he said a racial remark to him. They said it was just a gesture. Yeah, and I'm sure, trust me, that linesman would have said, like, he also said this. Well, I mm. mean, at that point, fucking, you, you think the linesman would have just let go of Jordan and be like, fucking have Adam. Yeah, well, that's the problem. That goes to the overarching problem in the sport of linesmen breaking up scuffles too soon, and then it leads to frustration boiling over later in the game or the next game, next time they play each other, but that's a different topic. Um, yeah, I mean, I get why someone might view that and go, holy shit, I can't believe he did that. I'm just not sold that it was concrete, a racist gesture, and we need to fucking ride this guy out of the country and out of the sport. And now hockey has to have a, a reckoning about how things are done. And sh- it's just like, if it was something more definitive, I'd be all on board. I'm just not willing to jump down this guy's fucking ass right now. Right. Like he's been released. He's never going to play again. With And his reputation's ruined. And there's no definitive proof that he did anything wrong. And I always use the, the Wilson example of, and I've seen that before too, from us playing days, the tough guy, like, oof, yeah, now you want to go. I'm just, anyway, that that's, the, you and I will disagree on that. I don't think it was on purpose. And I think there are people who are just always waiting for an example to jump on, to go look at this. And I think, Especially PK, with his reputation, was all too happy to uh, kind of, as he does on the ice, embellish what's going on. I, I will say um, the other part too, at least with PK, he brought up how uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the word about something about Bellevue and Panetta as to where he's from, and you know, classless and everything else. Yeah, and. Just a reminder, PK played his junior days in Bellevue. So were there things that had happened there that we don't know about, and that's what's making him feel a certain way? So, I mean, I'm not naive, despite what people might think after hearing me. I'm sure PK Subban had to deal with a shit ton of stuff, especially in junior hockey. Like, I'm sure that's the case. I'm sure there's a lot of shitty coaches and shitty parents and shitty players in Cal Fuckland, Western Canada, who have never seen a black person before, and then they're playing hockey against them, and this is our sport. Like, I get all of that. No no room for any of that. But I'm just separating the fact of all that shit that needs to get fixed and worked on and rooted out of the sport versus Jacob Panetta is the second coming of Adolf Hitler. I, I don't know if they went that far, but... <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so that's my thought on that. I'm sure this will be the last episode we record because I'm going to end up on a black site somewhere. Uh, that's how you're, you're going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, everybody, I'm taking emails now for a new, uh, <laughs> a, a new co-host. So if anyone's interested, um, that being said, I think we can go into better topics. Uh, do you want to kick off with Bruins Week in Review? Bruins Week in Review. Um, we had a seven-game homestand. We went five and two on the homestand. I thought overall we, we had a pretty good week. Uh, the Monday game, so the game last night against Anaheim, not our best. I think the Saturday game against Winnipeg may or may not have... Uh, we won that game, but I think it was a 3 o'clock start. I think the boys went out all night Saturday into Sunday and then uh, came into Monday as a working night. We got a long road trip coming up ahead of us. So uh, I would say probably not the best game to lose in the sense of kind of start the road trip off on a good note. But th- that's fine. We've been okay. A uh, scary moment in the Washington game when Brad Marchand gets blindsided oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. by Garnet Hathaway. I did not like that hit at all. Um, Marchand's up coming back, doing good. Uh, Tuka Rass came against the Willie O'Ree night, so Willie O'Ree finally gets his number retired by the Bruins, which is 60 years too late, but that is neither here nor there. Happily, it's uh, finally happened for him. Uh, Tuka Rask comes out, lays a shitter against that Carolina team. Five goals in the first period. Um, I'm trying to think what else we had. We had a really good hard-fought battle against Washington, which I liked. I like seeing a little bit of grittiness. We had the game against Winnipeg, really chippy game against Winnipeg. A couple of fights on both ends, so uh, the boys had to bring it. As for week in review... What is next for us? Um, actually, one other random thing, too. Uh, Oscar Steen yesterday uh, gets a two-minute boarding penalty against Delorier. They called it a five-minute major so they could review it. I'm watching it the whole time, and I'm going, he has the guy by the numbers the whole way. Yeah. And he still finishes the hit, and I'm like, that has to be five in a game. And the refs gave him two. And I'm a Bruins guy. I was shocked. I'm like, fuck, I, I thought he was gone. What was going on with Lino and Gibson? So I think that part of it was because of that. So they had then asked, Getzlaff was all over Steen's shit asking Steen to fight. Steen's, Steen's never been in a fight in his life. <laughs> uh, so that's when Felino inserted himself into the conversation as to, I'm the guy. Like, I'm now here, so you can deal with me. And this is a problem, like in our Bruins preseason like show, I talked about this, where the Bruins don't have enough meat. And Nick Foligno is our guy on the team that's going to be taking care of this. Like, come on. Like, yeah, Foligno versus Reeves isn't – I mean, I give a lot of credit to Foligno for the type of player he is, but I don't think that's a fair matchup. No, and like th- this is the problem, right? So we're going to have Nick Foligno doing the dirty work and – it, he's the type of guy that will stick up for a teammate no matter what. We saw it last year in the playoffs when Tavares got hit in the head by uh, Corey Perry there. They instantly got into that fight to try to get it behind him. And, like, you know, I respect Nick Foligno for that. But at the same time, for a Boston Bruins organization, like, I'm not saying we need a 
you know, definitive heavyweight on this team, a Rob Ray or fucking, you know, it's Michael Haley. play, being tough. That's it. And we don't fit that mold. We're not a big team. Like, we looked so much smaller yesterday than Anaheim out on the ice. And for us who's going to go into possibly the postseason, we can't match up against Florida. We can't match up against fucking Tampa Bay. Like, are you kidding me? Like, our third and fourth line would get absolutely eaten up by those guys. Yeah. So I just think that going forward, if, you know, at the deadline, if they need to figure out if they're buying or if they're selling, they need to buy into certain things. Like, we need defensemen. Everybody in the league knows that. We need a tough guy. I mean, as to how tough or heavyweight, like we, I guess we'll have to decide on that. Yeah, we just put the Rangers just put Tonorti on waivers if you want to make a claim for him. I legitimately thought the same thing. We had Jared last year, and I mean, he didn't play for us every night, but when he did, he was sufficient. I mean, that night with Tom Wilson at the Garden, he fought Willie. He had no problem doing it, and maybe that's what we need. But yeah, Tonorti does not have a place with us any longer, so he's probably available for. A future seventh round pick, if you want him. Yeah, I was gonna say considerations. I'll take them, <laughs> but uh, no. So uh, Cassidy came out after the game last night, and he was saying that you know we need more from Tuca. Kind of, we expected this. We, we thought he was gonna have to play probably eight to ten games before he finally gets into a groove, but you know, not his best work, not ideal. Blah blah. blah. So now, in my own mind, I'm thinking, okay, so already Cassidy's already not happy with him, but Tuca's a goalie who usually needs to ha- have some like some skin in the game. You know, he hasn't really had that yet. So now it goes to, all right, if Tuca has two or three more bad starts, do we just cut him and bring back Swayman, or is it just like you know now it's a loyalty thing where you know you already brought Tuca back, now you got him from the season. I mean, if he has a couple more bad starts, I think he'll just not play maybe like two straight games. All Mark will start, and then they'll put Tuga back in and see if that's the wake-up call. Yeah, maybe. But I just for, – for a team that's on the fringe like us, like we can't be risking any games. Yeah. Like we're not good enough to risk that many games. So For the Rangers, since we last recorded, um, they've had a good run. They – we recorded the night at the 13th. They beat San Jose that night. Uh, they beat Philly. They lost. Uh, they beat Toronto in Toronto. And then they had that uh, that gut check game against Carolina in Carolina. And that did not go well at all. Um, surprisingly, Gallant started Georgiev over Igor in that game, which I thought was really odd. Um, but the Rangers have a tendency to not start any game off well. And then... They turn it around in the second period, and then they dominate in the third and usually make a comeback like they've done the last few games here. The Rangers, I think, are the second-best team in the league in goal differential in the third period this year. Uh, I'm not quite sure. It's now it's the exact opposite of the problem under Quinn. We would start off well. The other team would uh, adjust, and then Quinn would have no adjustments to their adjustment, and then the second and third period would get our faces kicked in. Now it's we start the game off poorly, Galan adjusts, and then we play well. So at least you know that there's better coaching involved. Um, but we didn't start the game off well. 
Uh, we had a chance at making a slight comeback that didn't last very long. It uh, just was not a good game. And the speed that Carolina has on all four lines and the way how aggressive they are in a forecheck, it was the same thing when the Rangers played the Avalanche. Huge problem for us. We can't deal with aggressive, fast forechecking. Um, so that's, our, I think, our biggest issue has been laid out by playing two of the top teams in the league is we got to get better at limiting zone entry and then uh, making guys available on a sideboard for a transition and outlet passes. So after that Carolina game, they came back home and they started off poorly again against the Coyotes. Uh, we ended up winning that game 7-3. And then last night, didn't play poorly, but we were down 2-1 to one going into the third period. We tie it up, went in, in a shootout. Uh, the noteworthy thing from the game last night against the Kings was Brendan Lemieux's return to the Garden. Lasted, he's, a, he's a fucking asshole. Lasted a period and a half, maybe. Uh, and then he boarded Ryan Lindgren, like obvious charging and board. Got a five minute in the game. Uh, which led to the game-tying goal. And then as he's leaving the ice, he yells at the Rangers' bench, fuck you. So uh, enjoyed Southern California. Um, so besides the trend of starting off slow and then making a comeback, I mean, I've said this all year. If you go back and listen uh, to these weekend reviews, they're a very resilient team. They're a very mentally tough team. And I give, obviously... There's been some roster changes from last year to this year, but not that many. So a lot of this has to do with uh, just the environment around a team and the confidence that Gallant's instill- instilling in them. And you got to follow that up with obviously adjusting the slow starts. But if the Rangers are able to add a little more talent to their top six, and I know that's weird to hear because the last couple of years, we've been one of the better offensive teams in the league. But we're basically playing five on four every time our top six is out there. Um, the third line, the third forward on that line has almost contributed nothing all year, whether it's Lafreniere, Kako. Uh, we've had Dryden Hunt up there, Julian Gauthier up there, Goodrow's been up there here and there. We're, we're getting nothing. So we got to solve that. And then we also have to solve who's going to be playing on a third pair with one of the rookies because Patrick Nemeth is probably one of the worst defensemen I have seen in a Ranger jersey since Dave Carpa. Like, literally. And I don't usually shit on individual players that harshly. Like, I know Quinn was my target for the last couple years, but Nemeth is just not good. Like, he's not smart. And... They brought him in on a three-year deal, hoping he would be that third-pair guy who can PK um, as we started implement not implementing, but uh, bringing in more of the rookies on defense, whether that was Lundqvist or Schneider. It's just not working out. So the Rangers need to make a move. I know Kessel's been mentioned um, as a possible target. Uh, Riley Smith in Vegas. JT Miller in Vancouver. Callie Yarncroak in Seattle is officially part of the rumor mill. And now that pressure is increased because Kako is out week to week. So he's probably out through the trade deadline. And last night we had Panarin playing on his off wing to help fell at the top six. And then they had to move him back to the left side. And 
when you factor in that on our third and fourth line, we're playing Dryden Hunt, Julian Gauthier, Greg McKegg, Kevin Rooney, Morgan Barron, and Ryan Reeves. I, I can't believe that we're winning games. Greg we have, Love we it. have literally Ryan Strom, Panarin, Kreider, and Zabanajad as the only forwards doing anything for us for almost the entire season. And Goodrow has been good. Um, his advanced stats aren't great, but he's been exactly as advertised. So, like, I'll throw him in there, but he's not expected to produce. We basically have four and a half forwards out of 12. Um, so that's a huge problem for us. Lafreniere has been dog shit um, until his goal in a shootout last night. Kako, apparently he's out week to week. He's been playing with a, the Rangers said, quote, significant upper body injury the last month, and he's been trying to play through it. Now he's just got to take time off. So maybe that's part of the reason why he hasn't been playing well, but Lafreniere is no excuse. Um, I know he's been stuck in the third and fourth line with some of these scrubs that we're running out there, but he's just not noticeable. Like It'd be different if he's making some plays, and it's just the quality of his line mates aren't helping him finish, or they're not finishing chances that he's setting up. And then you can go, well, if he was playing with Strom, that would have been converted. None of that. He doesn't win board battles. He takes at least one stupid penalty a game, uh, usually late in the third period. And at this point, I text you this. Maybe he needs some time in the A. And I don't think that means his career is over or the Rangers fucked up. He's 20 years old. And the Stevie Y. Eisenman of everybody plays in the AHL. Like, look at Raymond. He started off in the A. Now look at the area he's having in Detroit. I think... It's better, especially if they make a couple moves at the deadline, it would be better to have him spend a month in Hartford getting first-line minutes on the left side, first power, uh, first power play units, and rebuilding his confidence that, hey, okay, I am still good, and then bringing him up versus let him struggle on a third or fourth line getting 10 minutes a night. And with him struggling on the third and fourth line, is that worrisome for the future in the sense of, I mean, you drafted him number one overall, and it wasn't to be a third or fourth line player. I mean, is that nervousness? Because, I mean, you're, you guys in your lineup is set for the next couple of years as to what you have and Kreider and Panarin. And yeah. I'm assuming yeah. Mika's coming back. So, I mean, it, it, I'd be a little worried about that. I'm not going to lie. I mean, hey, who said it when we, right before the draft? It's like, we don't need another left winger. We need a center. Mm-hmm. So, he's not playing above Panarin. And,. If Kreider keeps playing the way he is now, obviously I don't think he's going to lead the league in scoring this year or next year in the last few years of his deal. But him and Mika have great chemistry. He's not getting bounced from the top six. And Lafreniere already said he's not comfortable playing on the right side. So now you have your first overall pick playing on the third line, which is fine if the third line also has guys who can contribute offensively and complement this game, you can't have the third line be a checking line with Lafreniere on it. So if that's the case and the Rangers are sticking long-term with it, they got to start changing away and Gallant's going to have to start changing the way he views that third line. It can't just be the top six is all your offensive guys and the bottom six are all your four checking and grit guys. And then Lafreniere has to figure that out. Um, The last thing I want to say is Igor. There was a stat that came out earlier last week that showed if the Rangers had, if the Rangers didn't have Shesterkin and goal this year, they were to be tied with the Islanders for last in the division. 
And in his last seven games, Shesterkin is 15-2 and two with a 1.74 goals against average and a 9.55 save percentage. He's also the fastest goalie in Rangers history to score uh, to reach 20 wins in a season. Without, like, I know you kind of chuckle at it, and I'm not vouching for it uh, the other day when I sent you how, forget the Vezina, he should be the hard trophy winner this year. We'd I be did, fucked I without did, this kid. I did laugh at that, yeah. <laughs> like, we'd be fucked. And, listen, I'm happy that Igor turned out to be exactly what people were pumping him up to be. And the defense, team defense is much better. We're tougher to play against. We have much more resiliency. But it'd be nice to win games, you know, when he's in goal. 5-1, 4 nothing versus down one nothing, and then we're scrambling late in the game, and he has to keep our ass in it until we pull off some miraculous win in a shootout. So biggest, I know you talked about the deadline for the Bruins. If I'm ranking the Ranger needs, it's a top six right winger, the second need, Top six right winger, and then a third, possibly a three C. If Philip Heedle is not a center anymore, and you're going to play him on a wing, in my mind, Dylan Strom, take a shot on him for that three C. See how he works with Lafreniere and Heedle, three offensive minded guys, all young. See what happens. Well, yeah, and I mean, Chicago said it's a fire sale over there. Kane, Taves, and Jones are the only ones who are untouchable. Everybody else call. Yeah, like, and they want to get rid of Strom's deal, so I'm sure it's not going to cost too much to bring him in. So take a flyer on him for a few games, and if he doesn't work out, you can move him in the offseason. Yeah. For the two top six wingers, though, it's going to cost a pretty penny. I know there's been a lot of talk about JT Miller uh, coming back, and he might fit that game uh, on that right side next to Panarin and Strom with the style uh, play he has. But he's not going to come cheap, and then you still got to fill the other right wing spots. So, jury's going to be busy. That's all right. Keep him busy. That's why you guys pay him the big bucks. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what I have for the Rangers. They play Columbus t- uh, Thursday night, and then a big night is on Friday when Minnesota comes to the Garden. Henrik Lundqvist night. They're retiring his jersey. Your boy will be in attendance with a couple Kleenexes. And also, Matt Zuccarello will be there uh, with the Wild. So, at least uh, Matt will be there to see his boy getting uh, honored that night. I think that's awesome. I was gonna, I was actually going to pick that as my game of the week. I, I like how Minnesota's been playing. I like how you guys have been playing. Friday night, w- what better? Yeah, so it should be a great game and overall great night if you're a Ranger fan. So, um, do, you, do you have a viewing party at the Hulu Theater instead of if you can't get into the game or you don't want to pay the prices you can go there as well watch the game uh i think there's a bunch of raffles and giveaways and hank will be there um messier is going to be there the Vezina trophy is going to be there so um even that should be fun well i'm hoping that before all this snow happens on friday i could at least catch that before i'm trapped at work for <laughs> two three days i'll send you some video that'd be great i'll be looking forward to it <laughs> Um, so you mentioned game of the week. Uh, let's get into that. What are your game of the week lock, lock of the week picks? Well, game of the week, like I said, I like that Minnesota at the Rangers game, but I'm also taking Wednesday night Boston at Colorado, two teams that are pretty hot right now. For my lock of the week, I had it up here. Give me one second. Of course, I scrolled away from it. It was... Oh, God, where the hell was it? Was it Sunday or Saturday? 
It was Sunday. I'm sorry. Here we go. Game of the week, lock of the week. I have Sunday Minnesota at the Islanders. I'm taking Minnesota. All right. I mean, Islanders have been playing better lately, and they still have like five games in hand on anybody, everybody in a division. So they should be able to catch up and bypass the Devils, Flyers, and Blue Jackets pretty soon. Um, my game of the week is going to be Saturday, Vegas at Tampa Bay. I saw that one too, yeah. <laughs> uh, should be a good game. I think both teams have some talent. Um, my lock of the week, I'm going to go Arizona at home against Buffalo. I was, you know what? I was actually going to ask you to pick who you think would win that game. Just <laughs> it's general. a toilet bowl. Yeah. Um, one random qu- – well, more it's not a shout-out. It's a shout-down. The NHL pushing a whole bunch of games, which I thought were going to be canceled games, into that February uh, break. break. And they end up taking a Bruins-Rangers Sunday game in April and pushing it into there on a Tuesday night in New York. Like, we could have had a weekend in the city – yeah, and this is how we get treated. Well, you can make it a long weekend in a city if you want to come down and spend Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and leave Wednesday. <laughs> I, I could do that too, but I'm just like, I'm just so aggravated. It could have been a nice Sunday. I could have spent you know Sunday night into Monday, come back. Like it would have been good, but it, it's like Gary Bettman just wants to fuck me personally. Maybe we should do a a viewing where. Um, you and I watch the Rangers Bruins game, and we're recording. Like we're sitting in front of the computer recording us, and then we just bullshit throughout the game and put that up. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd be game for that. I mean, I don't know if people would listen to that, but I, I would fucking do it in a heartbeat. And hey, listen, I'll edit it down so there's no works, there's no play stoppages and intermissions. It's just literally game action and us talking shit and commenting. I mean, I mean we could just do it live too. And just fucking do it that way. Yeah. All right. Um, and just going back to lock of the week, uh, the current standings, you're three and one, I'm two and two. All right. So big week. Yeah. So I'm putting, and I told you this, but letting everybody else know my lock of the week picks starting from this week onward, I'm putting money on who I'm picking. So putting my money where my mouth is. I like that. Uh, what do you have for shout outs? Unfortunately, I'm I'm in Mass and not New Hampshire, you know, only 20 minutes north where as long as I cross the border, I can just fucking gamble there. But uh, shout outs this week. Um, Mother Nature is not getting a shout out. I am not looking <laughs> forward to the amount of snow that is allegedly coming here. Uh, another shout out. Who do I got? I, I got. Hmm. It's quiet this week. That's not a bad thing, right? Just the start. All quiet. I, I got you. Um, <laughs> actually, you know, by the time we record next time, my wife will have had her birthday. So, so I'll give a shout out to Big Red. Twenty-four, huh? Twenty-four every year. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Something in the water. Uh, and what about you? Uh, well, since we won't record before then, I will say happy birthday to Red Art, the uh, matriarch of the two, five, and ten family. <laughs> yeah. Um, no shout out. Like you said, I like to shout down to the province of Quebec and also just Canada in general. They Quebec announced today that they're increasing the capacity at arenas to 500 max for the next month. Oh, thank you so very much for allowing 500 fans into the Bell fucking center. So the NHL is going to keep canceling games there. Like, you know, it's bad when as a country in a province, 
even liberals in America are mocking you for how strict and exaggerated your COVID measures are. Well, I was going to say, Justin Falk ate him up in that fucking interview. Yeah. That was uh, very interesting to see as to how open they were. And the other part of it, too, is they said that now it was going to be allegedly February 22nd. They were finally going to open things up to full capacity there for the arenas. Yeah, we're still a month away. February 23rd, everything is okay, but the 21st, it's not. Correct. And the other part is, I I forget what date they were going to do, but they were going to open to 50% capacity soon. Yeah, I can't wait to see how this fucks over Canadian teams for the trade deadline because they were talking about Fleury going to Edmonton and Fleury said that he would retire before he goes to Edmonton because he's not going to another bubble again. And I mean, and I don't, he doesn't want to be away from his kids. I don't, I don't blame him for that either. Yeah, so, you know, good job. So shot down to Quebec and Canada for just being absolute jokes. Just stay hot, Canada. Yeah, I'm not your buddy, pal. I'm not your pal, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> But that's all I got this week. Oh, sorry. (laughs) But, all right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys for listening. We're going to try to keep uh, as much as we can going here. We're going to see what this next week in the NHL brings us. Hopefully there are no more uh, racially involved acts because, to be honest, that's one thing I don't want to talk about in this game. I, I just want this game to stay as beautiful as it can be. And going from there, Speaking of beautiful, you can hear Ben's voice next week right here on 2, 5, and 10. He'll catch you there. Bye-bye. I've created a monster. Cause nobody wants to see more, so no more. They want shady. I'm chopped liver. Well, if you want shady, this is what I'll give you. A little bit of weed mixed with some hard liquor. Some black, I thought I'd jumpstart my heart quicker than the shock. When I get shocked at the hospital by the doctor. When I'm not cooperating. When I'm rocking the table while he's operating. Hey! You waited this long to stop debating. Cause I'm back, I'm on the brag and ovulating. I know that you got a job, Miss Cheney. But your husband's heart problem's complicating. So the FCC won't let me be. They try to shut me down on MTV, but it feels so empty without me. So come on and dip, bum on your lips, fuck that, come on your lips, and some on your tits, and get ready, cause this shit's about to get heavy. I just settled on my lawsuit. Fuck you, Debbie! Yeah, this is the-